Welcome to Tech Interviews. This week is the first of three shows looking at the cloud and how we take advantage of it. Over the next couple of shows, we'll be looking at choosing a cloud provider and also how one company has used cloud to come up with an ingenious new way to raise money for charities. We'll start with data and how we make our data and the cloud work together with my guest, NetApp Cloud Solutions architect, Kate Ryan. So settle back, enjoy the show. Okay, why don't you introduce yourself, uh, tell people who you are and a little bit about what you do. Okay, so uh, I'm Kirk Ryan, I'm a Cloud Solutions Architect for NetApp and working throughout EMEA, so I see a wide range of uh, customers, but um, really what I'm doing is I work with existing customers, but also entirely sort of new customers uh, around public cloud resources, so things like AWS uh, and Azure, and help them understand where, where clouds are particularly good fit. For, for them and their projects and also exploring where it's not a good fit as well. So I suppose the real good thing I enjoy about this role, um, I suppose in my previous roles, is, have been that I get the opportunity to work with real um, fresh, fr- um, exciting new customers that perhaps have come from 100% cloud estates right now and born in the cloud and that's where they made their business. Um, so that's really exciting to come come at it from that angle where there's no existing data center, and that's what I've been doing. So. Well, I mean, we touched on this in the introduction a little bit about as a, a you know your roles as a cloud architect, but obviously lots of people will probably know NetApp as this kind of idea of this traditional storage behemoth who does on-prem storage and lots of it. Um, so uh, you know, what 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 role does a, a cloud architect have? within so, a traditional storage company? That's, um, <laughs> that's a comment that always makes me smile, really. So NAP in itself, it, it's no different to many of our own customers, right? We've got over 12,000 members of staff um, all over the globe, which generates the same challenges our customers have um, for our own internal IT, right? Um, so as part of that, we are also going through the same digital transformation that and we see firsthand the benefits of cloud solutions here. So that's what resulted in the formation of a dedicated cloud business unit of which I'm uh, one of the members there. And we have uh, lots of us globally. Um, so we're entirely dedicated to public cloud solutions. So I wouldn't deal with the traditional side of things. And I think that's quite quite an important thing to do is this, this year saw the release of the new NetApp. Um, the philosophy of actually we have had to change as ourselves and I think given the news and um, things you see social uh, now you should see that NetApp is emerging as a company that can both compete in the traditional space so uh, your private data center so to speak but also more uh, the public space as well so we can go cloud first and not even talk about hardware Um, and that's a really interesting position to be in right now. Uh, it certainly is, you know, for a company that um, has has made its name and you know and probably built its fortune on selling things to people, and the idea <laughs> that that you might be able to do that without selling pieces of hardware is is interesting. Um, and we'll, we'll explore that a little bit in a minute. But uh, one of the things that um, does interest me with this is, you know, you kind of touched on this idea of of digital transformation and you know this movement to a, a kind of a more data centric, data driven world. Um, I mean, what are some of the challenges then that you see? So you, you talk there that obviously you spend a lot of time talking to customers as well as the, the stuff you do with NetApp internally. But I mean, what are some of the challenges that you see um, customers are facing? You know, what are the kinds of things they want to achieve and, and what are the kind of challenges they've got in getting there? So obviously it varies from customer to customer, but the common theme I'm seeing, whether it's companies that were born in the traditional IT era 
of server client versus some of the more recent companies I deal with who are in the container uh, containerization sort of um, methodology there um, is this this concept of actually we need to be able to access our data or move the data um, and I've always explained it as well NetApp's in the business of building bridges uh, and what do we build bridges for we build them between the private clouds the public cloud or even the managed clouds as well so things like Bluemix and Softlayer out there as well who have, have, have um, you know, would present their own data challenges so I think that's where NetApp's real role is, is being that authority of a hybrid world, um, being able to say that regardless of where your data started or even where it ends up during its life cycle, um, we're the technology provider to give you the data solutions you need to be able to manage it, whether it's entirely cloud-based or in, on traditional premise as well. You were talking before uh, before we started recording actually about some of the um, some of the kind of meetings that you go to, and how you're seeing uh, the the makeup of those customers changing. So where it was kind of the traditional IT guys might have been a person who calls you in today, it's a whole different set of people. So so you know, what are some of those meetings looking like? And what what kind of things are you getting um, thrown at you as you? Uh, hopefully nothing uh, in in tins or anything like that. But what what kind of questions? What kind of um, what kind of challenges are these companies facing that they're presenting to you when you go in? So the most interesting one, if I cast my mind back to three weeks ago, I was sat down with a customer who reached out to us. They're 100% cloud. And they are where most companies who have been around longer than five years are trying to get to. You know, That's their goal of we want 100% cloud. And what's interesting is this is a company that have known nothing but nothing else but cloud. They are already at the stage most people are trying to strive to achieve. And they're coming the other way. Um, their challenges around 100% cloud are things around performance. Um, you know, uh, but why performance in particular? Yes, of course, the performance is, is there, but it's all down to cost. If you want performance, you pay for it. Um, it's also around about data mobility, um, avoiding vendor lock-in. That's something that's high on their agenda there. And it's actually a project being led by the financial director who's effectively said, because it's so unpredictable for them right now, they've got a lot of innovation, everything. They, they're losing control. Uh, so they're looking at elements of how can they control their spend a bit more? How can they perhaps go faster at a lower cost? Um, how can they bring things like backup and restore capabilities to their uh, cloud resources that aren't there right now? Um, and I think those challenges are ones that whether you started in the cloud or not, they all have to be thought about from, from the start. And that's where we're helping them. Another thing, you know, without going on the GDPR hype train, so to speak. <laughs> hey, I've had many a ticket on that hype train. Don't knock it. <laughs> is, um, is, is being able to answer that one fundamental question, which is where is my data? What category is it at any one point in time? And th those customers that are looking to, to make use of cloud, that becomes even more important because you may not actually know where your data is at any one point in time and that could potentially mean you know quite quite a big challenge to your business moving forward into 2018 so when you um so, uh, so when you sit down with a company and that company actually and, and and you've you've probably hinted at two two things there haven't you one is those companies trying to make that transition to be not necessarily all into a cloud provider be that public or some kind of hybrid model not necessarily being all in with that but certainly want to take advantage of those kind of technologies and then you've got the flip side which is those companies who've maybe started out as um 
you know, as, as cloud native and maybe want to bring those things back on prem. As organizations are starting to think about doing that kind of stuff, what are some of the things that they need to think about? And maybe things that they're perhaps not blatantly thinking about as well, you know, things that may be a bit of a surprise some of the time. So I think a lot of it's understanding your your, your applications. Once you understand them, once they're not so unpredictable, I think that, and, and actually that brings me back to a point we made before we started recording, which is saying, where does cloud really excel? Where do you get a lot of value out of the cloud? And it is for unpredictable workloads. Um, and once they do get predictable and you've got, you know, developers have put it into the mainstream IT function and it's your, um, your IT departments and then responsible for running it, the operations, the management, the backup, um, the restore, the DR, and the, these elements. I think that's where it gets a bit more costly doing it um, in the cloud. Now, it does get more costly. You've got things like all these other uh, charges that perhaps if you come in from an on-prem uh, environment that you've never encountered before or even planned for, things like data regress charges, transactional I.O. charges, the snapshot charges, um, and everything else, which were, were quite native to you if you came from that sort of environment. So they're the sort of things we're, we're seeing customers that uh, are either looking to consume it or coming from clouds uh, to try and gain a, a better sort of control over it, um, that, that we're really helping them them fix those those challenges. You mentioned before about the idea that NetApp are there to build bridges, um, build bridges between maybe on-prem and cloud and maybe some kind of, you know, something that maybe sits in between the two. So what, so what kind of things are, now, maybe not just NetApp doing, but what, what, you know, cause appreciate that's where your experience is, but what are the kind of things that you see in the technology vendors like NetApp and maybe some others? What kind of things are they doing to help you know, help people overcome some of these some of these issues that we see as you try and make these kind of cloud transformational type moves. Sure. Um, so I think some of the things we're doing to, to help people move to the cloud or um, really deliver digital transformation as a whole are the idea of well, da- data is the thing that we always say has gravity, right? It's the hardest part to move an estate. It's also the most disruptive piece of the estate as well. If you lose it, if it's not guarded. Um, Perhaps making it move outside of country borders isn't even an option. That could be an inhibitor to uh, a lot of the cloud um, consumption for for customers there. Um, And what we've done is we've gone, well, really, it falls into one of two categories when it comes to cloud. It it comes to edge cloud, which is the idea of I can make my, uh, my IP or my data itself available to the cloud resources. And then I can take advantage of the cost savings that perhaps I can do in the compute layers or consuming things as a service. For example, I wouldn't have to go build a data warehouse. I could go and use the AWS um, data warehouses, but point them at my data that's on the edge of the cloud. Um, and that's something, one of the solutions we brought there with our, uh, a solution we called NetApp Private Storage. And we have customers that actually today, maybe even listening to this, uh, would have no idea that this isn't a new so, um, solution that you buy from us. It's a NetApp system that is connected via an express route or direct direct connect to uh, any of those hyperscalers. Now, the, the second use case here is actually, well, what if I've got data that perhaps isn't so enterprise or, um, you know, I just, I, I can't, I don't want any hardware. And this is where my conversations start around is, well, if we're, we are going to be a cloud company and we're talking to cloud customers, 100% cloud customers, we need a solution that runs in AWS or Azure natively um, but can make these native storage offerings either easier to manage um, or also reduce the costs of that as well. And that's where we have ONTAP Cloud. So they're the two main offerings that we have. Um, 
from our portfolio. But really, I mean, it, what it's about going to our customers is actually doing the cost modeling and saying, well, if you've got a database server or web services over here, well, why don't you manage it as a single pool of storage instead of you know, um, trying to understand the cloud piece, which actually when you get past it, you know, e even thinking about disks for performance, EBS volumes, let's look at AWS, for example, um, it's not easy as clicking a button and going, there's my storage. You know, you've got to say, well, how many disks do I need? What RAID do I put over it? It's not this newfangled magic storage bucket. It is, it's, it is a case of, oh, actually, I, I have virtual disks and I need to do RAID and everything else. And we take all of that away and say, well, actually, we can create a single pool of storage in the cloud that does iSCSI, NFS, SIFS or SMB. Um, and you manage it in an enterprise way. Um, so for... New, new non-NetApp customers, it's very easy because it's API driven and typically people would be looking at Jenkins or, or these other orchestration things that are out there that to, to go and manage that. Um, or perhaps we've got existing customers who do know how to manage NetApp and it's still gonna feel familiar to them as well. So with the um, cloud manager service on the top, you know, it becomes a lot easier to manage that storage. And I think that solves that problem of data, whether it's in the cloud or just being available to the cloud. I think you touched on an interesting point there as well, though, about the idea that, you know, I think we see this as well, that, that people will often assume that the migration to the cloud, um, you made a good analogy actually before we started. There's loads of great things you talked about before we started recording. <laughs> uh, we're just hoping we squeeze some of them into this as well. But. Um, you know, you made a good analogy of the approach that people traditionally took to virtualization, that we could take a physical piece of hardware, we could run some physical to virtual migration stuff, stick it in our VMware, Hyper-V, whatever environment, and it was all great, and it just worked. And we're seeing that people are trying to take that attitude and take that as part of their cloud migration. You was talking before about some of the problems that come with that. You know, I mean, what are some of the issues that you've seen? I mean, you touched on the economics of it, um, but you know, what, what are some of the issues you've seen with people whose attitude is just pick up what I've got and forklift it straight into AWS? Yeah, and uh, you, you remind me there that virtualization gave us some bad habits, right? Um, it was great because we all said we were going to go from 25 servers down to 10, for example, uh, and that was fantastic, and we were able to utilize those resources fully. Um, but then the reality was 12 months later, we had 200, 300 servers, because it was so easy to create these virtual servers. We had sprawlage. Um, and that was okay, because we owned the kit. We knew what the cost was. But what we're seeing here is that actually, if you take the same approach and move like for like, you're not actually exposing any of the value of the cloud at all. And the value of the cloud comes across getting cost savings when you can. So for example, if your application already has a prescribed list of CPUs and RAM and everything, they're there. Um, it doesn't take advantage of the scale elasticity of the cloud at all. Um, so what you'll find generally is if you've moved from uh, an on-premise state and take a traditional virtual machine, put it in the cloud, um, so not even taking backup or performance as a requirement and just put it into the cloud our customers will find that over the course of a year, they'll pay three times more just to run that virtual machine and without exposing any of the benefits of the cloud. Um, so it's not made them go any faster. It's not driven any innovation. It's just keeping the lights on as they were before. And we've seen customers do this. So um, time and time again, across almost every industry, whether it's in the UK, Germany, Sweden, any of the countries I get to visit on my day-to-day -day job, um, it's the same. 
So that approach fundamentally doesn't work. And we've seen uh, a use case where, and I can't name the customer, um, just three months back who did want to go aggressively into Azure. And as part of that was picking up the virtual machines, moving them into Azure. Um, and they spent their entire 12 month Azure budget in a month. So when these other added sort of costs come and, and they compound time and time again of, for example, if you want to move your data out of the cloud, just be aware of data regress charges. Um, if you want to access your data or give a sustained level of performance, then there's different tiers of storage, which also cost more than what, what you'll start off with the cost calculator. Um, but there's these other moving bits and pieces like um, transactional I.O. charges, snapshot charges, copy charges. Um, do you want resiliency? These charges as well to think about um, that you wouldn't have thought thought about on the traditional estate because they were already um, in your three-year, four-year or five-year um, budget cycle for, for that project. So you've got to be very careful of how these will all add up time, uh, over time. And to be honest, it's a bit unfair because you won't know these charges until you put it in there. And it might be too late to move it back because maybe perhaps you don't have the luxury of moving it back once you're in there. So um, that's where solutions is making your data available to the cloud can really help because once you realize and understand the cost economics of your own applications in the cloud, um, it might work out that it's not the right place. And we found that if you look at the um, life cycle that IDC had a look at and said, well, actually, usually over 12 months, most applications in their life cycle, so I think it was 50, over 50% of these applications will move back in-house. And the reason for doing so was because of the economics of it. Once you added all the, the rest around it, the operations, the backup, the restore, it became more cost-effective to bring it back. You, uh, you mentioned the idea there, well, there's actually two things. One was um, I would love to have been in a meeting where their 12-month Azure budget was spent in one month. That would have been a great meeting. Um, I'm glad I wasn't in it. Um, but you also talked about this idea of your data being near the cloud. Um, what, what do you mean? So many users start with, I need to get to the cloud. And it's this whole philosophy of getting to the cloud means moving my data to the cloud. Um, and that's not true. That's not true. Um, firstly, I ask, well, why do you want to put it in the cloud? And they say, oh, because AWS does this fantastic service where we can use, for example, the data warehouse service. And we don't really want to refresh our existing data warehouse right now. Like, okay, fantastic. That's great. Um, but that would mean picking up all their data and either replicating it over the internet or, and it's time consuming. Um, and there may be some rather large... Um, outages um, involved in between or a third party bit of software to replicate and sync and everything else. Um, but by putting it at the edge of the cloud, what I'm saying is, what if you could take all of the advantages of the cloud and not have to give up your data sovereignty, not have to give your data um, into AWS or Azure and actually change the conversation entirely and say, our data is now freely available to AWS and Azure, why pick one? It may be that Google have a service in particular that you really like, or you know their uh, machine learning algorithms are very smart. You may say, well, actually, that's a better fit for that project. So if I was a customer saying, well, uh, which cloud um, consumer should we go to? I'd actually spin it on its head and say, well, actually, you don't have to have that limitation. You can choose to use Azure for certain services. Um, and by putting your data at the edge of the cloud, that can be done. But you also give yourself, over the next however many years of your project, the freedom to be able to move that data between 
any of those cloud providers without doing a single data migration. And that's the sticking point for a lot of these projects is they start off with the concept of what virtualization was effectively, um, a migration. And the philosophy needs changing as to don't migrate at all. Make your data available to the cloud. It looks, feels, and um, is available to all those resources as if it was in the cloud itself, but generally at a lower cost, higher performance, um, and also the fact that you're able to back up, restore, and replicate it entirely out of the cloud to any other geography on the planet. See, and that's a, you know, that's really neat as well. And I think there's something that, that NetApp do, and we haven't really touched on here, but this idea of the kind of, um, you know, and I'm a big fan of this idea, this NetApp data fabric where the ability to have our data where we need it, when we need it, kind of coming from the right repository. And, and what you've just spoke about there kind of sits sits nicely within that. And, but maybe it's a, a good way to kind of wrap up about how, what kind of tools NetApp have put in place to allow you to build this kind of strategy that allows your data to be moved to maybe to the most relevant place so that you can take advantage of, you know, what works on-prem, what works in a cloud, what works somewhere in between. Um, so, you know, so, so how does that kind of data fabric story sit with that? You know, because you also talked about maintaining things like governance and data security. You know? so, so, so how does that all hang together? Okay. Um, so there's a lot of things that are here today and there's a lot of things coming in the future as well. But really, the fundamental question that needs answered for a lot of our customers is where is my data and what is that data and how does it, what does it need? You know, they're the, they're the three main questions. Um, and I was impressed myself, actually, because I hadn't had much to do with the, um, the Insight guys um, within NetApp. We have this one product there that's able to look at your data, whether it resides on physical on-prem kit, a managed service provider, or even in the cloud providers themselves. Um, and it's able to, you know, for, for this customer that was 100% cloud, I was able to say, we can understand your data. We can see what its performance requirements are, if you've got any orphan storage and things like that. And that's all quite important when you're paying per gig, for example. Um, but for the data fabric piece, I think what it's all about is talking about, well, data and its endpoints. When my data, for example, is immature or in develop, development, um, it obviously doesn't need as many resources as perhaps when it's got 100,000 users on it that are revenue generating. Um, but what I do need to know is that, you know, and we talked about the concept of building bridges, which is effectively the whole data fabric at a point, um, is saying, well, it doesn't matter if that starts off as um, file data or block data in one of these cloud providers, I'm able to have the freedom to move it to any other point of this data fabric um, and present it out as something else. So, for example, if we flipped it on its head and said, well, any customer listening today that does any form of analytics um, on any NFS system, and I think this is one thing I'm keen to get across, is you don't need to be an existing NetApp customer to take advantage of this. You could have another vendor's NFS system right, right now today, and we would take it and actively sync it to S3, object storage in AWS so that you can use arguably the most powerful analytics as a service platform on the planet and with no downtime. And we can return that data back to that NFS system for you um, as part of that service. So I think it's all about being able to move the data around or make data available to the right services at the right time. And that's certainly what we're very capable of doing today and just watch your space for what comes out in future because there's some fantastic things on the horizon. And I think that's probably quite a nice way to wrap up because it, it kind of takes us full circle to where we started, that the idea that NetApp, this traditional storage vendor, um, 
that why on earth do they have cloud architects? Um, and of course, you know, as you've kind of touched on there, the idea that today NetApp aren't just selling kind of on-prem storage as some way of holding your data. It's this kind of true idea of even just NetApp-based services, which can move your data from any storage on-prem, allow it to be consumed by cloud services and retain, you know, I think is pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I mean... You know, when you say as a service, you've just reminded me there actually, just before I go off on a different tangent, is the the Office 365 stuff. So even if you're looking at totally non-traditional um, sort of messaging and collaboration and things, then this is where, for example, we have open programs right now where you can get involved and see backup as a service, for example, from NetApp as a product where you don't have any installables or server requirements or anything. It's just consumed as a service. And this is the, the new NetApp as they say, it is a transformation for us. We have dedicated units and de- dedicated resources like myself that we, we're not allowed to touch tin. Um, so it's a really exciting place for me to be. Um, and I think for our customers as well, having that resource available where we can go in, help you understand your applications um, and assess those cloud requirements and give you that consultancy as to where will it fit well, where perhaps you won't have many savings uh, at all. Um, and help you understand where you are in your cloud strategy and, and, and journey there. Um, you know, it's certainly a, a great place to be for, for that right now. Yeah, and I think we, it's easy for us to forget that, um, you know, we, we sit here at a kind of the technology consuming end and we just assume that the only people doing digital transformation are businesses and, you know, and, and we hear about this idea of transformation and data-driven and, you know, application-centric type of stuff. And often we forget that those big technology vendors who supply that are going through exactly the exactly the same thing. And, um, well, I mean, just to wrap up, so um, if people have listened to this and are, are interested in some of the stuff that NetApp are doing, I mean, where's a good place that they can, um, they can find out about kind of NetApp's cloud portfolio and maybe even try some of the stuff out? So the easiest way to find out more is if you head on over to cloud.netapp.com and that's got all the latest videos, it's got the, all the information and um, guides and white papers to the entire cloud solution portfolio. So whether it's born in the cloud or traditional NetApp or new NetApp customers uh, entirely, I, I would head over to cloud.netapp.com. Um, or um, if you're coming from more a DevOps background, then I would go to thepub.io. A fantastic resource there for people that have never touched storage before, aren't interested in touching storage, but perhaps know that they need their data to be available, I'd head over there as well. And when we say the pub, we don't just mean down the pub, uh, do we? I mean, there might be a bit of that, but that's that's not quite what we mean. And um, and if people want to uh, stalk you online, Kirk, and find out a little bit more about what you're up to, is there a good way to do that? Yeah, so uh, I'm usually quite vocal on Twitter, at uh, Kirky underscore UK, um, or my LinkedIn. Um, so if you just do a search for Kirk Ryan, I'm on there. Um, or if just in general, if you do a Google search, I think I'm the second hit now. Well, so, get you. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, Clicking that every day has paid off. Yeah. <laughs> That's what being a cloud architect does. It gets you right up the Google rankings, That's which is it. nice. Um, we do have some new cloud blogs on the way, actually, as well. So, again, watch this space for um, some more sort of organic blogs and things from the cloud team as a whole as well, which will be coming out. But I'll reveal more about that uh, later today. Okay, well, that's great. Really appreciate your time and uh, thanks for joining us and look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks very much for the invite. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed the show. Pop over to techstringy.com for show notes as well as all of our previous Tech Interviews episodes. 
Next week, we discuss choosing the right cloud services partners. So if you want to make sure you catch that show, why not subscribe? You can find us on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever else you get your podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening.